Father, as we approach this passage, um, we're reminded that there is an agent at work to make plain the understanding of Your Word so that we become more and more like Your Son. To take the Word of God that You've revealed and the will of God in it and to impress it deeply into our hearts and minds because You have taken the old heart of stone And you have put in its place a heart of flesh on which is written the law of God. And Lord, we ask this morning that your word would be um, uh, revealed to us in a beautiful way through your scriptures here. So that we behold wondrous things from your word. Thank you that uh, you have by your good plan have given us the gift of your son and you have given us the gift of being children of a father and the gift of fathership. But Lord, You also have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's into this topic and this subject here we look this morning and praise You for the Spirit that is within us that is even greater, Jesus said, than Jesus standing beside us. And we ask that Your Word would be revealed and and grafted into our hearts this morning so that we understand the spiritual realities you have poured us into. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I'm going to jump right into this topic here by asking you a question. If somebody were to ask you, uh, how do you know you're saved? What would your answer be? And some of you would give your story of how you remember that certain time when you uh, called upon Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and accept the finished work of Jesus Christ in your place for your salvation. And you would be correct. When Paul asks this question, or when Paul implies this question, the answer he gives is because the Spirit of God is in you. That's how you know you're saved. In fact, in Jesus' words in John chapter 7 and verse 39, He says, But this He spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive. In John 14, 16 and 17, the last few hours Jesus was spending with His disciples, He says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. John 14.26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus promises the very person of God, God the Holy Spirit, that third member of the Trinity, who people who follow Jesus would receive into their own lives. Who would literally live and dwell inside their physical bodies who would also have specific and certain tasks that He was appointed to do, and the most uh, crucial being that their eyes would see the glory of Jesus. And the way they would see the glory of Jesus and walk in the glory of Jesus and shine out the glory of Jesus is by receiving the truth of God. In John 15.26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. And then Jesus says this remarkable truth. In John chapter 16 and verse 7, He says, It is better... 
for you that I leave you with my physical presence. That as a human being standing in your presence, it is better that I leave you so that the one who comes after me, the spirit of truth, lives inside of you that is far better than me physically standing next to you. And here's what he says in John 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So God living inside of you is better than Jesus as the God-man standing beside you. And John 16 later on, he says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own, His own authority. But whatever He hears, He's going to speak, and He will tell you things to come. So He has a purpose here, revealing God's truth. And then when Jesus appears to His disciples, and He says, As the Father has sent Me, so I am sending you. The Scripture says, And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so they wait in the upper room in Jerusalem and they pray for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Spirit to come. And then when He comes in Acts chapter 2, and people ask, what's going on? What's, what, what are all these things that are going on in, in, uh, uh, through you followers of Jesus? Peter says, alright, thank you for the permission to speak. And Peter unloads on them what God has promised before time and how God's promised plan of a, of a, of a promised Messiah through Abraham and through King David's line of the tribe of Judah uh, has been delivered to them and they have crucified Him. And their response uh, is to be to repent of their sins, to believe on them. And then God, through Peter, tells the people who are listening, that one of the very purposes of this is so that receive the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, he says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission and forgiveness of sins. And he says, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's this concept of a reception, of receiving God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And over and over, this is what is described as what it is to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, having the Holy Spirit inside of you. So that one day, when Paul in Acts chapter 19 is coming to a group of people who profess to be believers in Ephesus, he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. They've been baptized according to the pattern of John the Baptist baptism. Which is a different thing. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on Him who should come after Him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So Paul's big indicator here and his, and, his, and, his, and his line in the sand here for whether a person is a believer or still a child of the devil is if that person has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So we can write things like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5 about hope that it doesn't disappoint, but the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given to us. And in Romans 8, 5, over and over, he contrasts the, the life of the flesh and the life of unbelief with life in the Spirit and life in the faith. So we can say in Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh 
which is your natural pattern apart from Christ, dead in your sins. They set their minds, they they set their values and the way they operate their life and their perspective of how the world works on the things of the flesh, just the things you can see and the world's values. But those who live according to the Spirit operate their lives according to the things of the Spirit, meaning spiritual realities, truth that God has revealed. He'll say later on in Romans 8, you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And He does if you are a believer, Paul's implying. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not His. And he'll say in Romans 8.11, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And the idea is since He does, that He who raised Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. Listen to this. Who dwells within you. And in Romans 8.14 he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So Paul has made it very clear that it's expected that one who is a believer has the Spirit of God living in them. He's revealed God's truth to them. He guides them in His truth. And they walk after a pattern of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8.16 he says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit, our soul, that we are children of God. So, that question, how do you know you're saved? Because the Spirit lives inside of you. He bears witness that you are indeed, you indeed have the very DNA of God implanted in you, as Peter says, of divine nature. Paul will say in the very book we're studying in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Don't you know? That your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own. You are a possession of God because God is possessing you because the Spirit of God is in you. Your body is the dwelling place of God. And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that uh, uh, no one speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus accursed. Can curse Jesus. And he says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It is the mark of the believer's life. If he is indwelt by the Spirit, that he is a believer, that that person says Jesus is Lord and lives according to that truth. That's what Paul says. That's why in Romans 10 he says that whoever shall confess, believe in their hearts, that God hath raised them from the dead... <clears throat> Uh, he shall be saved. But before that, he says, believe what? Believe that Jesus is Lord. And first, in 2 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says, God has sealed us and He has given us the Spirit in our hearts as, and the word there means a guarantee, a guarantee that God Himself will finish the course. When Paul has to give some of his harshest words to these uh, uh, people in, in the area of Galatia and the Roman world, he says, I, this, this, is, this is what I want to learn from you. This is where it all comes down, com, comes down to Galatian believers. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So Paul bases their salvation, where they, in, uh, where they are with Christ, on this concept of receiving the Spirit. That is what it means to be a believer. 
And he'll say in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect or complete by the flesh? And Paul says, No. If God has given you the Spirit and He lives inside of you, that's how He intends for you to live your Christian life. You're saying, why are you quoting all these verses here? Then I want you to understand something key that has many times been left out of the Christian life and has left people in a frustrated mess of trying to be a good person. And Galatians 4, verse 6 tells us, because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it reminds us how much we need the Holy Spirit because it is not by good things that we have done that we can earn the favor of God. It is not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration, the washing of being made alive and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And John puts it this way. John writes a letter to help people identify whether they are followers of Jesus Christ, whether they are born again, whether they know they have eternal life. And John says it this way in his letter in 1 John. He who keeps his commandments abides, fellowships, remains in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. How do we know God lives in us? By the Spirit whom he has given us. And he'll say toward the end of 1 John, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And then in Jude 19, just one chapter, where Paul has warned of false teachers and those who operate simply according to their natural mind, which is according to their life, a life separated from Christ, a life of their normal human patterns. Paul says this, These are central persons who cause divisions, and he describes the unbeliever as this, not having the Spirit. Not having the Spirit. So how did this play into our letter in 1 Corinthians 2? Well, we have a group of believers who are doubting Paul's methods and his message. They say it doesn't measure up in their minds uh, to what they have heard in their culture of flashy presentations of manipulation and the style of their culture's rhetoric and speeches. Paul's style is clear. It is frank and honest. It is built around a message that their culture uh, uh, and Greece would scoff at. And these Corinthians have lapsed into pride and arrogance and divisions and they are rallying around personalities instead of the power of the message of the cross of Christ Crucified, he is buried, he is risen, ascended, and coming again when God is where God is magnified and not man. That's where they are turning their eyes away from. And so Paul has rebuked them for their partisanship, their divisions, their strife in chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And he says, It is incompatible with that mentality with the clear power of the cross. And has reminded them that the wisdom of man's ways and the values that they have so exalted are in contrast with a humble crucified Messiah in chapter 1, verse 19 to 25. And so then in chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, he nudges them a little bit and he says, look at yourselves. You yourselves are proof that God works in ways that are not popular with the world. 
And he describes most of them as most of their social statuses as being lowly in the world and not respected. And that God has chosen that way to bring glory to Him through their redemption by, playing, by, by, by placing weak people into the powerful, sufficient Christ. And then in chapter 2, verses 1-5, through five, Paul describes the manner of his message when he came to them proclaiming Christ. Not one that would really draw crowds or would measure up to the world's standards of awe-inspiring and flash. But Paul says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Not in a bold, proud arrogance. I came to you as a proclaimer of the cross of Christ. And not as a salesman. Not as a politician. So that the results that come from that would have been by would have not been by men's stirred emotions, but to the power of God and the straight cut message of the cross. In other words, I didn't need to manipulate you. And then last week in chapter two, verses six through ten, we, we saw that God's good news story is supreme because it outlasts all the others. Paul exalts the cross of Christ as this mystery here. This message of the cross, which was a mystery before, it was unrevealed before, and they can't take credit for it, but it has been revealed now by the Holy Spirit. It's been planned before time, and, and, and that, must, that, that idea must humble them further in the message of the cross. And they must immerse themselves in this unfolding promise of God that God has given all of Himself, freely given for the nations, which is deeper than they can even imagine. They they, they can never outgrow that. And so God's good news story is supreme. It gives out others and it creates out all others. And now in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, that Howard read this morning, he picks up this theme that the promised plan of God is superior then and it is opposed to the world's values. And he makes it very clear that though they are despised as redeemed sinners who say, I follow this Jewish Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and look at as foolish, they have a privilege in God Not because of anything great in them. He's made that already very clear. They have a privilege that has been given to them by grace through God's gift of the Spirit that should do two things. It should humble them lower than anyone else should be humble. And it will elevate them higher than the most powerful rulers in this world. And here's why. As Howard read this morning, they have been given access to God's mind. They have been given access to God's mind. The very thoughts of God. And the powerful and the influential and the purveyors of the values of this world that the Corinthians have been so enamored with have nothing compared to followers of the Messiah Jesus. And so, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, Paul tells us that God reveals His promised plan only through the Spirit of God. Only through the Spirit of God, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, one true God in three persons. Three persons and one true God. God reveals His promised plan only through the Spirit. He gives us a couple reasons why. Look in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. 
The, the, the promised plan of God, the mystery that's now been revealed, the, 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 the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 10. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. He says that God reveals His promised plan only through the Spirit because, first of all, the Spirit searches the deep things of God. Friends, the Spirit of God who has dwelt in eternal fellowship and community with God the Father and God the, and God the Son and relationship for all eternity and community knows what God is thinking. Because, obviously, He is in community with God and, secondly, because He is God. Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a lesser person of the Trinity. He is very God and very God. And because of this, He knows the mind of God. He has revealed to us the Holy Spirit is the divine preacher. The Holy Spirit is the divine expositor, explainer of God's thoughts to us. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And let me tell you, the unfolding promised plan of God is a very deep thing of God. And secondly, he says, in verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? I don't know what you're thinking right now. Hopefully you're getting a sense of what I'm thinking this morning. But I don't know what's in your mind, what you're thinking about. The pot roast that's in the oven, throwing a line in the water when you get home, and pulling out a trout. Uh, maybe you're thinking about um, uh, your, you know, your, 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 your hobbies, or maybe you are tuned into the message, and God bless you this morning, uh, if you are. But that's what Paul is saying, is we don't know what's in our, what, what, what other people are thinking. Only you know what you're thinking. We can only guess, we can only perceive, but listen to this in verse 11. Even so the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. In other words, God's thinking is so high and is above us, uh, that number one, we wouldn't understand it in our own human understanding. But number two, because He is a different being, a different person, we wouldn't be able to read the mind of God. But, verse 10 God has revealed these things to us because we have received the Spirit. That's a privileged access, is what Paul is saying here in chapter 2, verse 10. God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. And then verse, verse 11, Even so the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. So that would be a problem if verse 11 was all by itself, wouldn't it? I don't know what you're thinking, and, and uh, we don't know what God's thinking. But verse 10 says we can know what God's thinking. And what God wants to reveal to us because He's given us the very person of God who knows the deep things of God. God Himself is a Spirit. He's intimate with the Father. He's all-knowing. And He reveals, He guides us into the truth of God. So the first truth, here in verses 10 and 11, is God reveals His promised plan only by His Spirit. But then Paul will make a, this, this second contrast here. The Spirit is the fullness of God. So that's why we're able to understand who God is, because He's fully God. But then the second contrast is this, that God reveals His promised plan to people of the Spirit, to people of the Spirit. Because we have the Spirit of God in us as believers, then that is how He reveals His promised plan of God. And so what He's talking about here is our, our growth in Christ. Um, 
Paul over and over, as we, as we, as we said before in the introduction of this message here, has, has this understanding with people who are marked out as followers of Christ because they have the Spirit. And so Paul reveals his promised plan only to people of the Spirit. Look what he says here in verse 12 through 16. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that, for the purpose of, we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, now here's the contrast, he receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They're discerned by the Spirit. When you, by the way, when you see that word spiritual, please don't ascribe to it a connotation of spiritual person is someone who is on this really high level here in the Christian life. The idea of the word spiritual simply means a man or a woman who is of the Spirit. Someone who has a Spirit. So what we are talking about is believer, spiritual man, versus unbeliever. Okay? Verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They are discerned by the Spirit. But he that is spiritual judges or discerns all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So secondly here, God reveals his promised plan to people of the Spirit. And the reason why he tells us uh, uh, why he reveals the people the Spirit is because we have, obviously, received the Spirit. We've received the Spirit, not the Spirit of the world. Not the Spirit of the world in verse 12. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Okay? So, we've already made that clear. So, let's jump on to the next point under this truth here. We have, we have the Spirit, and secondly, we are not the natural man. If you are in Christ, you have been made alive. You have brought from death to life. You are not the natural man. And so therefore, because God has, has made you alive, He has given you a new heart, He has put the Spirit of God living in you, you can receive the things of the Spirit of God and they are not foolishness to you like they are to the unbeliever. Go with me to Ephesians 4 to see how Paul describes a person without the Holy Spirit, an unbeliever. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you hereafter walk not, that you hereafter walk not as other Gentiles, and the idea there is unbelievers walk, and the vanity or emptiness, utility of their mind. This is a mind without Christ. This is a mind without the Spirit. This is an unbelieving mind. Now, how does that mind operate? In verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, their consciences uh, are not operating according to the Spirit of God. Of course, they're operating according to what they think they have deceived themselves makes them happy. And so he says this, 
who being past feeling had given themselves, given themselves over to lasciviousness, to doing whatever they want, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And then listen to this. Because of the Spirit of God, Paul can say to these Ephesian believers, but you have not so learned Christ. This is, this is two different ways to live, isn't there? There's no middle ground here. There's two ways to live. A life that is motivated and run by uh, what I think will make me happy verse, a life that is run by what pleases God and the glory of God because of love for God. So we are not the natural man is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. So stop acting like that. Don't operate by the, by the system, by these values. But thirdly, because God has given uh, His Spirit uh, here to believers, we are to discern the world with a new mind. With a new mind. In verse 15 and 16, he says this, But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And that verse has been abused um, and misunderstood for, uh, by, by some, some uh, teachers to say that this gives you a, an ability to just operate your own way. That no one can judge you because you have been given the mind of God. And if you're on the spiritual level, then you are above any judgment from human beings. And that is not what this passage, this verse is saying. It's saying this. Friends, in comparison to the natural man, that natural man cannot stand in judgment of you and say that what you believe is invalid, what the scripture reveals is invalid. Because listen, you have come from where they were and you have come to where they are not. In other words, you understand what it was to live in a life of sin, don't you? You understand what it was as you look back to see your mind darkened and your understanding in a cloud of who God is and what He's done. You understand what it, what it means to have tried to, to earn favor with God and, 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 and gone two steps and gone four backwards. You understand what life is like without the Spirit of God, without Christ. And, that per- and now you understand what life is like in Jesus. And the natural man doesn't understand that. You've been where they're at. And you are now where Christ has placed you in His grace. And that gives you a whole new perspective, doesn't it? In verse 16, he says this. Because these things are spiritually discerned. And no natural man can judge you because they, they, don't, they cannot understand the things that you see from Christ's perspective because they're not there yet. So they do not have the Spirit. Paul will say this in verse 16 and quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 as scriptural proof that this is, this is a concept in Scriptures. This is God's Word. For who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? He's already said that in one sense that you and I don't know what the other person is thinking. And if you and I don't even know what another human being is thinking, how can we even know what God is thinking? But then he's bridged the gap through Jesus Christ, Christ crucified, our trust in him that has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying in verse 16 is this. You do have the mind of God now. You have access into the mind of God. You do know how he sees the world. What Paul is saying here is God has given you through His Spirit 
the ability to see and understand the world now. What I mean by that is this. Those deep questions of life. Where we came from. He didn't speak human beings into existence. Did you know that? He says to all the rest of the creation, let there be, and there was. He speaks into existence. But he forms us carefully in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He formed us out of the dust of the ground. He handmade us. And he didn't just say, let there be life and speak life into us. He breathed his very life into our bodies. He spoke to us then even after we were made. He doesn't speak uh, directly like He does to human beings, to creation. He speaks directly to us. You know the very first thing that man heard after God created him? In Genesis chapter 1, 26-28, was the blessing of God. So He tells us where we came from. And man became a living soul. And man became the very image bearer of God. The very representation of God. God delegated His kingly authority to us to rule over creation. To guard it. And to multiply His glory through creation with more image bearers. Be fruitful, multiply. To share His beauty and goodness throughout all the earth. And because we have a new mind, the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God has been given to us to have access to the mind of God, we also know why we were made. The purpose. Why we're here. Bird shared with us in the men's retreat a quote from Woody Allen that basically said he figured out that the only reason we're here is to distract ourselves from the impending doom that is going to come upon this planet. That's his worldview. That was his perspective. The Bible says we were made to drink from God as our Father for our nutrition. We're to be, we were made to be filled with His fullness. We are made to treasure and to value what He treasures. We are made to work for His glory and to shine out His beauty, to walk with Him perfectly in love. We are made to walk with other image bearers and serve them in care and service. We are made to enjoy His gifts so that we worship Him who gave them and not the gifts in and of themselves. That's the, the mind of Christ tells us that's why we were made, because God has revealed these things in His Word. That is, this is the mind of God. You understand this. I'm not talking about a mystical thing here. This is the mind of God that has been revealed to us. He also tells us what's wrong with the world now, and the root of that. That it's not because there's a lack of education. It's not because funds haven't been distributed evenly among the human population. That's not the, the biggest reason why things are wrong. That what is wrong with the world and the root of that is that we all as individuals turned away from all that God had defined as good and beautiful for our good and to our destruction we rejected His purposes and His guardrails and His protecting love and we rebelled and we made ourselves false gods and idols in this place and we ruined creation and our lifeline with God was severed. And we turned and we shrink-wrapped ourselves in selfishness and shame and guilt and blamed others for what was wrong. And we're empty and broken and fractured and smeared. And we're headed to destruction away from Him for all eternity because we did not want to be with our beautiful Creator and Father. And we're headed to torment for all eternity because we deceived ourselves 
that we would rather have that in darkness than be in the bright radiance of his perfection and holiness. The Bible also shows us, though, not only what's wrong with the world, but what God has unfolded through time to fix it. The promised plan of God that you read about in verses 6 through 10. That when the time was ready, when the fullness of time was come, that God made full on His promise to Abraham. He made full on His promise to Adam and Eve that there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. That there would, through Abraham's descendants, become one descendant through whom which all the nations of the world would be blessed. And the time was ready, the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a wound, born under the law that we might no longer be under the law, but be in grace of Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus of Nazareth, in a little remote, obscure place in Israel. But God hasn't only unfolded through time what Jesus Christ has done to fix it by taking our disobedience and living a life with perfect obedience and by taking our sin and paying for that sin on the cross and by rising from the dead in victory over evil. But He also tells us where it's all going to climax, come to a head. Because the forces of evil that met at the cross and were mortally wounded at the resurrection of the God-man. And the nations of the world, under the leadership of the prince of this world, would gather in a concentrated group. And they will attempt one more assault against the King of Kings. And the Scripture says, He will speak the word. He will not even lift a finger to fight against them. He will speak a word. The same word that called life out of nothingness will now call destruction to all the hordes of the armies gathered against them. And they will be destroyed. And God will protect what He loves by placing them in the outcome of their choice in eternal torment and separation from God in the lake of fire. And we say this with sadness and grieving. We say this with glory because Jesus is victorious. But the mind of Christ and the revelation of God in the Bible also tells us something. What it will look like when God's love protects and restores and preserves it forever. That He'll come down to a new heavens and a new earth He has created. A world that is without sin and suffering and death. This very city and dwelling of God will come and He will be with God and He will be with men and they will be with God and they will be His people and He will reign in the full enjoyment of His people forever. Never again to have even a hint of sin and suffering and death for not just trillions and trillions of years, but forever. And we will never exhaust the riches of the unfathomable wisdom and gifts and attributes of who He is in His character. And we for all eternity will continually grow into Him. We will never be static. We will be as we were meant to be. And so when Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, these Corinthians about the mind of God and the mystery that's been revealed, brothers and sisters, this is what God has unfolded to us by His Spirit. That our natural darkened minds cannot comprehend. That our natural minds will not put themselves in submission to this plan of God. And friends, this is what makes the things of this earth 
that pass away grow strangely dim. As we live by the Spirit, killing sin by the Spirit, living to the righteous glory of God by keeping in step with the Spirit of what He's shown us in His wonderful Word. This is why you need to be in your Word of God. This is why you need to not just read verses in isolation, but verses in paragraphs, and paragraphs in chapters, and chapters in books, and books in the whole Bible, so you know the unfolding plan of God. This is why you need to have a hunger for the thing of, things of God, because God has put His Spirit in you, and if He's put His Spirit in you, you taste these things, you want these things, you want to see that God is good, and He shows us He's good in this book. If the Word of God is something that is dusty and something that is not worth dipping a spoon into, then number one, you need to search your heart. And you need to ask yourself, Spirit of God, move across these old, dried out strings. Stir the slumbering cords again. And friends, if all this sounds foreign to you, you're probably a natural man. And you're headed to destruction without Christ, but God in His grace has given Jesus to you. So that you have the mind of Jesus, which is the mind of God, which is the mind of the Father, which is the mind of the Spirit, the mind of the Son. And we wrap the time that we've been given on this earth. We don't downplay the time that we've been given on this earth and say, well, there's wonderful grand things out here, but we live here now. No, the mysteries of God that have been revealed and the mind of Christ that have been revealed makes us good stewards of what He has given to us. So that we have been giving these gifts of life as servants of the Most High God and we wrap them now not with a crumpled up paper, but in golden brilliance. Because we, we can redeem the things that are now here, the things that are, that are going away here, but we can redeem them and cash them in for eternity, can't we? We can live for His glory. We can love Him in obedience. We can, we can, we can now fulfill our purposes by loving God and loving His image bearers in service and by making disciples of the natural men for God's glory. So Corinthians, Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. So, Sal Pope, you have the mind of Christ. In a small church nestled in mid-coast Maine, you have more power in you than the sum of the United Nations in New York. You have very God, a very God dwelling inside of you who has revealed an eternal mysterious plan and made it plain to you. Who has called you down to walk in that. So husbands, you can do that on Monday. You can do that today when you get home. You can be the husband that God has called you to be. Wives, you can be the wife that God has called you to be. Singles, you can live for the glory of God in your singleness. Children, you can obey your parents and live for God's glory in your homes. Workers, you can work for your boss who ultimately is Jesus. Bosses, you serve a greater boss. This changes everything, doesn't it? Because you have the mind of Christ.
Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning, I wonder if there's someone here this morning who would say, I have realized that I am a natural man. I have not received the Spirit of God. I am outside of His fold here. I am outside of His sheep. I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, because of His good work on the cross and His willingness to give me all of Himself in exchange for my sin, His perfect, His perfect fullness in exchange for my broken and scattered and empty life, I'm calling upon Jesus to save me. Is there anyone here this morning who lift your hand and say, today's the day I'm calling upon Christ to be a follower of Jesus. And believers, have you caught a glimpse of what Paul can say in verse 16? Who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct them, but we have the mind of Christ? Are you living with these eternal values in focus? Are you sluggish? Are you treading water? Are you stepping back? Are you tempted to turn away from all that God has given to us? What are the things in your life that are holding you back from full, wholehearted commitment to Jesus? Repent of those things this morning. Rely on His Spirit Father, we ask this morning that you would take the things of God in these profound first four chapters of Corinthians and you would continue to massage them deep into our souls. You would open our eyes to the understanding that you've now given us and we would not walk as the walking dead of people of futility and lack of purpose and living for our own appetites, but we would live for the appetite of God the burden of God, the will of God that's been implanted in us. And we would be faithful in our, in our, in our small circles. We'd be faithful uh, in the spheres of influence You've given us. We'd be faithful in the stewardship and the responsibility You've given us. And we would do it because we're empowered by You. Because of what You've done for us. The identity You've given in us. Uh, you, the identity you've, you, you've put us into and the future hope of eternal glory. Pray that the things that are distracting us right now, that the Holy Spirit is tapping on our hearts about, and the misplaced priorities, that you would take those things, and by faith we would render them crucified to the cross of Christ. That the sinful habits that we find ourselves continually going back to and, and, and eating it of, Lord, would be distasteful in our mouths. And that we drink in Your Word and we see it as honey, pleasant for the soul. And we would obey it as people who do the will of God and abide forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. stand as we close. We're going to close with number 83 in your hymn book. Verse 1 and verse 2 of Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.